Blog Talk Radio. Look at the female boxing world. This is episode number 80. And, uh, well, to start off, my name is Felipe Leon. With us, like always, from Riverside, California, is Mr. David Avila. David, how are you doing tonight? Very good, Felipe. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. And from the Bay Area in California, none other than Miss Lupi Gutierrez. How are you doing, Lupi? Hey, good, good. Hi, David. Hi, everybody. Hi, Lupi. And there you go. Well, it's, it seems like it's been an eternity since we last had our show. It was like, the, I think it was the second week of, uh, of January where we had our show where we gave you the best of 2019, according to the two-minute round. Um, and we're back again. We've had, um, obviously, some scheduling conflicts because there's been so many fights uh, in the Southern California region. And uh, we've been covering him, especially Mr. David Avila. But we're here now, and we're back with a great show. We're going to go back and talk about all the fights that we that transpired in the last two or three weeks as well, actually like a month, as well as we'll be having a special guest tonight, which will be Mr. Brian Cohen, a former professional boxer, but now mostly known for a manager of notable female fighters including uh, newly crowned for the second time WBO super lightweight champion, uh, Christina Lina Dartu. Um, which other ones does he manage as well, uh, uh, David? Uh, Mary McGee, who is the IBF super lightweight champion. And then uh, he's had in the past, although it's kind of sh- uh, uh, up in the air, we're not 100% sure, does it, Melissa St. Ville and, and other yes. fighters as well, right? Yeah, Alicia Napoleon. Um, Callie Reese, of course. He just signed um, Ebony uh, Bridges from Australia. Mm. Okay, so he'll be calling in about 15 minutes, and we'll get started with um, the fight results, which we have a lot of, and we'll actually talk a little bit more in depth about some of these fights, starting on Friday, January 30th, which was right before, right after we had our show from Atlantic City on Showtime, Clarissa Shields scored a unanimous decision over Ivana Habazin in a 10-rounder for the WBC and WBO 154-pound title. Scores there were 189 two times and 99-89. Clarissa Shields scored the first knockdown of her career, dropping uh, Habazin in the sixth round. And on the same card, uh, early fight of the year candidate between Alicia Napoleon uh, losing to the Swede Elin Tederus in a 10-rounder in a unification fight at super middleweight for the WBA and IBF titles. Napoleon was down in the second, and scores there were very close, 95-94 three times. Lupi, what were your thoughts about these two fights that happened back in January? You know, um, gosh, it's hard to think back that far. I, I remember Clarissa Shields, Ivana, it was that body shot, right, that took her down. It was beautiful. But what I really remember is I really remember the Alicia Napoleon and Elon Sederud fight. I mean, that was just, 
that was back and forth. I was really proud of Alicia that she took this fight. Because this girl, she right when you saw her, you're like, wow, this girl's big and she's an athlete. She looked like a rower. And uh, that was, it was a pretty exciting fight. There was a lot of back and forth. I mean, they walked out warriors. And I think Alicia Napoleon, she gained a lot of respect after that fight. Along with Elon, because she came and people were like, who? And she came and showed it and took it. It was wonderful. What about you, David? What do you remember about these two fights? Uh, yeah, just exactly the way uh, Lupi described it. I, I thought the the better of the fight, of course, was uh, Alicia Napoleon and Sidorus. And uh, Clarissa did what she always does. She just dominated. Yeah, she dominated. Kind of like opened up some questions regarding if she's going to stay at 154. She's going to go up to 160. Um, if, it seems like she's not willing to drop any more weight to try to match up with Cecilia Breakhouse, a fight that uh, many have been asking for. She's actually made it very public, saying that she went down all the way to 54, and now she expects Breakhouse to go up to 54 from 47 if she wants to make that fight, which I don't think is something that's going to happen. Also, recently we've seen that Clarissa Shields is um, starting to train in, uh, in MMA. She's starting to throw some kicks and showing some videos of her doing some knees and some kicks training. So mm-hmm. who knows what that means. Um, but we're going to have to wait. As far as the fights, I mean, yeah, I agree with David and, and Lupi where, you know, uh, Clarissa dominated, uh, something that we expected for her to do. But the, the surprise fight was this Sidirus uh, against Napoleon, which was a great fight. And Sidirus, uh, despite having very uh, limited experience, it was very evident that she could hit pretty hard, and she had the basic sounds of the jab and the one-two down enough to be able to squeeze out a win over the slightly more experienced Alicia Napoleon Espinosa in taking that uh, WBA title and adding her to her IBF. And now she is the unified um, super middleweight champion. And for now, she's the only super middleweight champion. As of right now, we're going to get to that in a couple of minutes because, well, actually in some seconds, because on the next night, on Saturday, January 11th, from the Alamo Dome in San Francisco on the zone, Alejandra Jimenez scored the Mexican former uh, WBC heavyweight champion, dropping over 50 pounds to get down to 168, scored a split decision over Franchon Cruz Desern to capture the WBC and WBO titles. The scores were 98-92 and 97-93 for Jimenez. Well, uh, one judge saw it for Cruz Desern. Um, now, since then, and just last week, and first, first, I just want to talk about the fight, and then later on in the fight chatter, we'll talk about everything that's been going on with that incident. But now it has mm-hmm. been changed through a no contest by the state of Texas where the fight took place. So first, let's just talk about the actual fight. What did we see in that fight, David? Well, actually, I thought uh, uh, Cruz won. Uh, I mean, even the punch tallies uh, proved that out. But the one thing that that uh, Franchon did not do is she didn't uh, display a poker face, which is really important when you're fighting. Mm-hmm. When you when you look like you're losing, that's going to influence the judges. Or mm-hmm. if you look like you're disappointed, it's going to influence the judges. And she was she didn't do a very good job of hiding her her feelings. But in the punch yeah. stats. She all punched her, but but I mean I I could understand the judges 
siding with Alejandro in that fight. Yeah, and and it was evident. Like I agree with you that Franchon Cruz in the last in the second half of the fight, you could see really see her struggling. Her conditioning was probably not there, and maybe Alejandro's was because of what we're gonna talk about later. Um, but yeah, like you said, like you could tell that she was frustrated. Her corner wasn't too happy. There was that issue with the wig, um, whereas Jimenez just kept chugging and chugging along. You know, Cruz Desern scored the. The more accurate punches, the more punches, according to the box stats, like you mentioned, David. But it looked like Jimenez was scoring the bigger punches. What do you think, Lupi? Um, I think it's exactly what you guys said. Um, but I don't think, you know, Alejandra was just walking right through her punches, which was, it was eye-catching for me. It made me think. But I don't think that for Franchon being the WBC and the WBO champion, she Alejandra did not do enough to take those belts from the champion at all. I don't think so. I, I now, one thing, now, one thing that that I've said it before, and it, it was more evident in this fight, despite her having two world titles in French on Cruz Desert, is that her style is very amateurish. You know, she doesn't stand down on her punches. She's kind of like lunging at her opponent, um, smothering herself and her punches. I mean, that's her style. And we've seen that style in the pros. It's very reminiscent of, like, let's say a Sean Porter. But to me, it looks amateurish. And, you know, she had a very long, extensive career in the amateurs. She doesn't have that many professional fights. Um, and that's maybe worked against her in the judges' eyes, although it was a very close fight. And now it's a no contest. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. We're going to delve into that mm-hmm. part of the fight a little bit later in the show but we're going to move on with the fight results as we wait for our special guest tonight on the two minute round your hooks and jabs look at the female box world number 80 where we're going to have mr brian cohen manager of uh, a multitude of female champ fighters and champions like uh christina linadartu mary mcgee um, at one point melissa seville um and, and a multitude of others and obviously he's going to talk about his whole stable and what is next for them. Um, but on Saturday, January 18th, no, on Friday, January 17th in Hallandale, Florida, Miche scored a six round TKO over Martina Horgas in the scheduled eight rounder at 118 pounds. The time was there was 1:32. And on Saturday, January 18th in Tamazula, Mexico, Kenya Enriquez defended her interim WBC uh, light flyweight title against Japanese uh, Chaos Minova with the unanimous decision. Scores there were 188 three times. And on Tuesday, January 28th, in Tokyo, Japan, Escudo Tara fought to a draw against Ayaka Miyao for the 105-pound title for the WBO. It was vacant, so that title remained vacant. Scores there were 96-94 each and an even 95-95. And on Thursday, January 30th, in Miami, on the zone, a very quickly made fight since Amanda Serrano was scheduled to fight uh, MMA because she does both, but her fight fell through with uh, Combate Americas, which is her MMA promoter, and they made a fight for her in about a week, week and a half against Brazilian Simone da Silva, and Serrano very quickly, very dominated, dominately scored a around TKO in a scheduled eight rounder at 130. Well, it was at 100. It was in the lightweight division, but they weighed about 131, 132. Time there was 53 seconds. Mm. David, um, you know, 
Serrano looked devastating in the, in, in that fight. I mean, she had De Silva had no answers for her. Um, what did you see any rust? Did you see anything um, off kilter, or or did you just see the Serrano of always? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, uh, Amanda, she can be technical like she was against uh, Heather Hardy, or mm-hmm. she can just be guns blazing like she was against Simone De Silva. And against Simone De Silva, I kind of felt sorry for her because uh, the manager just blew her out, didn't care what she was throwing back, and she just took her out. Yeah, uh, Lupi, did you get to catch this fight? Yeah, I did. And, and yeah, I mean, Amanda Serrano, there was just no, there was no competition. And you know, Amanda's always ready. We see her on on her social media, on her Twitter, and she is always working. She'll take a fight. And the reason why she probably went off on this one is because her other one fell through, you know, and that kind of gets you a little bit, you know, your blood boiling a little bit, and Simone took the um, fall. <laughs> what I did like about that, and, and we mentioned it here on the show before, is that she proved that a fighter of the cat, of, of Simone de Silva, and Simone de Silva, you know, she came up, she kind of, Jumped on the radar because she beat somebody that she wasn't supposed to beat. She's from Brazil. She's basically what you call an opponent. But I'm looking it up right now because she did beat somebody that she wasn't supposed to beat. And I'm going to tell you who that was in a, in a minute here. And then uh, once she did that, she started getting a little bit more high-profile fights still as an opponent. But um, but uh, she beat Ikram Kerwat, who was at that time in that fight uh, – uh, trained by none other than Roy Jones Jr. If you guys mm-hmm. remember that fight was in Phoenix, and she won a unanimous yeah. decision after her against her. After that, um, she fought Shelly Vincent, lost to her. Uh, she defeated Carolyn Foto Antunes back in Brazil, and then she lost to Tiara Brown and now Amanda Serrano. So what I did like about Amanda Serrano's um, uh, performance is that she basically proved that a fighter of this caliber of Simone de Silva does not belong in the ring with her. And she blew her out in three mm-hmm. rounds and it was pretty impressive. And now it looks like it's almost a done deal where she's going to be facing Katie Taylor in April in, um, in New York city. It looks like, um, David, before we move on to uh, more fight results, you mentioned that at times she could be technical at times. She could look like this, just overpowering her opponents. Which style do you think will work better for her against Katie Taylor? Well, uh, it's a different style because uh, Katie Taylor is a mover. She moves side to side, so she won't be able to do that. Uh, what she'll have to do, in my estimation, is cut her off from moving, cut off Katie from moving to her left and force her to stay in one area because she moves very well to her left. And uh, that's how she, she escapes. And if Amanda can cut that off successfully, which is not as easy as it seems, then she'll have a very, uh, she'll have a better chance of, of dominating her or, or not dominating, but making a fight out of it. I agree as well. I think that if she tries to outbox Katie Taylor, she might have, not that she's, Katie Taylor is a great boxer. I mean, we, she has a pedigree from the amateurs and, and, you know, the Olympics and everything, but I mean, Amanda Serrano is a great boxer as well. So I think that if she tries to outbox her, um, you know, it, it could be detrimental, even though Amanda Serrano is a great fighter, a boxer. 
but I think that she tried to overpower her like she did Simone de Silva to a certain extent. Maybe not as aggressive because Katie Taylor has a little bit more more uh, more in the toolbox to throw back at Amanda Serrano than de Silva. But we did see how Delphine Pursun was able to have a lot of mm-hmm. success against Katie Taylor, you know, brawling it out or looking to brawl it out. And what Katie Taylor's mistake in that fight against Pursun was that she was willing to brawl it out, and I think that's what made, was that mistake in that fight. So if Serrano could kind of like melt meld both styles, a little bit of a brawler, but with some technical side to it, I think she has a very good chance to upset the apple cart and defeat uh, Kelly Taylor in April. Loopy? Yeah, it, you're exactly right. Exactly what you said. And now she has the blueprint. All she has to go do is go watch that fight again because you're right. It was all that it was revealed with Pursuit. Now, also I'm on that fight. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, that's going to be a great fight. Um, it's probably yeah. uh, on paper one of the most anticipated fights. Like, just I think that to the level, if not more, I mean, if not more than to the level of the of what uh, how anticipated that Clarissa Shields against Christina Hammer fight was. But um, but I believe that inside the ring it's going to be a lot more mm-hmm. competitive than that, that fight yeah. was against Shields and, and Hammer. Mm-hmm. On that same night mm-hmm. in Miami on the zone, Avril Massey scored a fourth-round TKO over Angelina Hofschneider in a scheduled six-rounder at 122 pounds. And on Saturday, February 5th in Denmark, Sarah Mafu scored a unanimous decision over Brenda Karen Carvajal mm-hmm. for the interim IBF title at 126 pounds. Scores there were 190 98-92 and 97-93. And on February 6th, uh, this uh, Thursday, in Indio, California, David was in the house. Sulem Urbina scored a unanimous decision over the veteran Noemi Bosques in a six-rounder at 115 pounds. Scores there were 60-54 times. David, what was the atmosphere? How did the crowd um, receive this fight between Urbina and Bosques? Well, it seemed to be the the fight that brought most of the people. I mean, in my opinion, it, there was mm-hmm. a lot of fans there for Suleb uh, and Noemi. Uh, it was a great uh, fight. It um, Suleb just seems to be improving. I mean, mm-hmm. from the time that she started as an amateur to now, I've I haven't seen anybody improve more than her. She's she's improved. She's a true pro- professional now. I be, I agree, yeah. Lupi. Yeah, she is. She's she just you know Naomi. What I like about her is that she'll take any fight. She'll fight anybody. And yeah. even though Naomi's been in the game a long time, you know, and she maybe she should be thinking about you know what's after twenty twenty. But um, Sulem was a tough fight for her. She was a very tough fight. Um. You know, I'm excited for Salem. I think her getting a shot with Golden Boy, that's she deserves it. She really does. You know, when you look at what she's been through, not just how she works so hard in the ring and, and how dedicated she is, but what happened with her brother. I mean, she deserves something good to happen, and it's happening. It's because she's making it happen. She's one of the boxers who knows how to, um, like Fran Sean, they know how to, they know how to box, but they also know how to handle themselves outside the ring. They know how to advocate for themselves. Um, it's it's a good model uh, to be that boxer who has the business side, and she's got it. She's making it happen. 
Now, I do agree with you, Lupe, that maybe Noemi Mosca should be thinking about what is next for her outside of boxing. She's a trainer uh, back home in in Florida. She trains in her gym, and she has, like, you know, clients and all that. She just loves mm-hmm. to fight. She, that's why she does it. I mean, obviously, the perks of, of, of a boxing career, you know, the the little bit extra money you may make, the, the travel, which she's traveled all over the world, travel. Um, mm-hmm. is also appetizing. But, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, Noemi Bosque's fights uh from the beginning of her pro career to now. And you could tell she's losing a lot of her fastball. She's getting hurt with punches. She wasn't getting hurt yeah. before. Urbina is not known as a hard hitter, and she hurt her a couple of times in those fights, almost knocking her down. Um, mm-hmm. But she's not giving up. She has a fight already scheduled in Africa for a WIBA title or something like that. So she's not. She's and another not, fight after that. Yeah, so she's not hanging up the gloves anytime soon. Now, as far as Urbina, yeah, I'm completely not. in agreement with um, with David where, you know, in the beginning of Urbina's career, it was costing a little bit of work to kind of transition to that pro style. And I think in this fight, she's getting there. She's not there all the way, but she's so much, cl- she's so very close to it. She's very close to transitioning mm-hmm. all the way. And in this fight, she looked great. I mean, she boxed, she brawled, yeah. she was smart. I think that if she had a little bit more pop in her punches, which she could, I mean, sometimes they say you're born with uh, with that punch, but you could develop the punch a little bit by the way you turn your punches and, and you know, the way that you turn your body when you're, when you're throwing those punches. Very but true. she could be, she could be uh, a good threat at 112 pounds and one fight that she, she wants and she's asked golden boy for, and I think they're, you know, looking towards it is a fight against Marlene Esparza. You know? I know. That would be great. And I think an that would fight. be a great fight. Yeah, I think it's a very yeah. even fight. Um, and I think there is some bad blood between them. Like, you know, as it, as it rings true sometimes <laughs> with Marlene Esparza. So Again. there is that. I don't think it's going to get to the point of the trash talking and the intimidation yeah. by or the attempts of intimidation by Marlene Esparza, like she did with Inés Estrada, because like you mentioned, uh, Lupi, Urbina knows how to handle herself. She knows how to, you know, she knows how to carry herself on social media outside mm-hmm. the ring. I've seen her. She's yeah. very active on Twitter and I've seen her mm-hmm. kind of get into little spats here and there on Twitter. Uh, yeah. And she, carries, she, she knows how to, you know, handle it. And I don't think mm-hmm. she's going to, she's going to fall into Marlene Esparza's trap of, of the trash talking. I mean, she is, I don't think she's going to like stay quiet, but I don't think it's going to go to the extent of it, what it did yeah. with Estrada, you know? So we'll see. We'll see yeah. if that fight gets made. Marlene is coming back. Yeah. When is she coming back, David? In March? Uh, March. March. Yeah. March 10th. Yeah. So she's yeah. coming back after that loss to Ginez Estrada. She, Marlene keeps asking on social media for, um, that uh, rematch, and uh, we'll see if the fight against Inés Estrada gets made first, or if they can make this fight against Marlene against Saluma Rubina. One thing that Rubina has been very adamant about um, in, in this year, and if she does end up solidifying a professional relationship with Golden Boy Promotions via a contract, is that she wants a chance to to fight for a world title, and. Um, so we don't know if, if that would mean, you know, 
that would come with the Marlena Sparta fight because Sparta is not a world champion. So um, we'll see. I mean, she does fight in the uh, in the uh, um, flyweight division. We saw her, her do this fight near the uh, um, near the uh, uh, super flyweight division of 115 pounds. So I don't know. I don't know if the opportunity is there. Let's see. Uh, let's see who is the current uh, world champions at 112 pounds. Very quickly here. Uh, 112 is um, we got Naoko Fujioka of the WBA with the interim champion Sinise Estrada, which I don't think she's going to keep that for too long since she she's more than likely going to be dropping down to 108 or even 105. On the WBC side, we had Ibet La Roca Zamora, which I think will be a great fight. Now, can Urbina deal with Zamora's you know relentless pressure and experience? I don't know, but I would love to see that. And then at the IBF is Leonola, Leonela Paola Judica of Argentina, who undefeated in 16 and 0. I think she's undefeated. And um, in the WBO is another Argentinian by the name of Deborah Anaí Lopez. Now, if Urbina feels confident enough to do it at 115, on the WBA side we have Maribel Ramirez, who is the WBA champion at 115. Guadalupe Martinez for the WBC. Sonia Osorio, who Urbina was supposed to fight. Not too long ago, is the interim 115-pound champion. On the IBF side, we have Jorgelina Guanini of Argentina. And the WBO has Miyo Yoshida at 115 pounds. So there are some options there for Urbina. And obviously, Golden Boy can help her get any of that. David, it's almost 8 o'clock here on the West Coast. Any idea from Cohen? I think he was supposed to call about 15 minutes ago. No, nothing yet. No word yet. Not at the moment. He must be tied up right now. So no word yet. Okay, we'll wait. We'll wait to see if he pops up here on the uh, on the phone list. Now, if anybody wants to call in and speak about female boxing, you can do so at 323-580-5735. 323-580-5735 is the number to call in. Now, on, on Saturday, February the 8th in San Jose, Costa Rica, we had Yocasta Valle, Defender, 105-pound IBF title with the TKO over Carlene Rivas uh, in Costa Rica. Do you know what the uh, – was she the main event, David? Yeah, she was. She was the main event. Um, she's being co-promoted uh, in Costa Rica with a promoter over there and also with Red Boxing here from the U.S. And oh. uh, she recently signed a two-year contract with Red Boxing. Is Red Boxing the one out there in Pico Rivera? Uh, yes, they did that show, Big Rivera, and they're doing another show, show doing in the April. Gloves, right? Yes, they're also doing the Golden Gloves. It's going to be a two-day event. Uh, the main event on Saturday will be um, Adelaida Ruiz. When is that? That's on April the 4th, I think it is. Okay, perfect. And then... Uh... So we had Yocasta Valle on February 8th in San Jose, Costa Rica. Oh, my question is, do you have, uh, what was the uh, uh, attendance at her fight? Was there a big crowd? You, no, you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't able to see the crowd. But uh, I, she is very popular there. She's, because she comes out, she did do a dancing show in Costa Rica. And because of that, she's become very, very popular. Yeah, kind of like the Dancing, in the Star, dancing with the Stars, but the Costa Rica uh, version, right? Exactly. Yeah. 
right. Well, hopefully she fights in the United States soon, and being that she is co-promoted by an American-based uh, uh, promoter, hopefully we get to see her soon here. In Germany, the return of Christina Hammer after that loss against Clarissa Shields, uh, scoring a unanimous decision over Florence Monsoni and an eight-rounder at 160 pounds. The scores there were a dominating 80-72 three times. And also Anna Ranking came back in Scotland after her most recent loss with a third-round TKO over Eva Bajic in an eight-rounder at 154 pounds. The time there was 115. Bajic was dropped three times. And in Sheffield, England, Terry Harper scored a unanimous decision over Eva Wallstrom in a 10-rounder for the WBC 130-pound title. Scores there were 99-92 times in 98-91. Wallstrom was down in the seventh. This fight was broadcast live on The Zone on Saturday afternoon here in the West Coast. And although Terry Harper did look good in the beginning of the fight and closed the fight very well as well, um, I think that the scores were a little bit too wide. I think the rounds were a little bit more hotly contested, and although I did see her as the winner, I think the fight, the scores could have been a little bit closer. What did you think, David? Uh, I actually had it even until the uh, sixth round, and then after that, Terry Harper just won everything. I mean, and then she had the knockdown, too. So, I had her winning by five points, I think it was. Loopy? Yeah, I mean, it could have been a little closer, but Terry Harper's really good. Since she has a really nice boxing style, and since she has that that nice amateur career, I mean, I don't think that even you and I like Eva. I don't think that even you, what she was really walking into. You know, hmm. sometimes I think these more experienced, these veterans don't. They're like Terry Harper. Who's that? But they don't understand like the the amateur experience behind it. And I think they were surprised. But that was a really good fight. I'm happy for Terry and. Um, let's see what's going on for next. Um, I know Michaela wants her next, and then but they say Sanders is really up next. So they want a fighter. So good for her. Well, we'll come back and t- talk about a little bit more about Terry Harper and that fight. But with us now on the line from New hey, York hey. is none other than Mr. Brian Cohen. Mr. Cohen, how you doing tonight? Hey, David, how you doing? How's everybody doing? Good, good. good thank you. Thank you for being with us here on uh, the two-minute round. My name is Felipe Leon. With us is Lupe Gutierrez. And as you know, I'm going to pass the baton to Mr. David Avila. David? Brian, thank you very much for calling. I appreciate it. Oh. Hey there? Oh. oh, yep, I can hear you now, David. Sorry about that. Oh, okay, Brian. <laughs> so, so, Brian, are you based in Philadelphia or New York? Philadelphia, I bounce between the two states, but mainly Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, for for all of our listeners uh, uh, around the world, tell us how you got into the boxing business. Uh, my father was a boxing manager, so I grew up around the sport uh, from a very young age. My father had his own boxing gym, and I, I've been around the sport since I was a little kid. I could remember um, – riding my little push bike around uh, boxers when I was a real little <laughs> kid. So I've been around the sport all my life. And, and what was it that got you into the managing female boxer? What brought you to that point? <laughs> you know, oddly enough, I was um, 
I was I was pretty close to the end of my career, and um, uh, I did a card here in Philadelphia, and Belinda Laracuente fought on the card. She fought uh, Lakeisha Williams, and Melissa Hernandez, of course, came with with Belinda, and me and Melissa started talking, and um, Melissa was the first female I managed. It was just I, I don't know. It was just I liked managing her, and then from 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 um, from Melissa, then I started managing Ronica Jeffrey. It was just a snowball effect. Um, I just enjoy managing women boxers, man. Sometimes they're much easier to deal with than the men. Um, you know what I mean? And 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 I enjoy their fights a bit more. Uh, you know, with all honesty, you know, with with actually the two minute round, um, you know, they're, they're all business. So, well, I mean, you you manage uh, Melissa Hernandez, and you, ha- I'm sure you you dealt with. Uh, some of the other top level of uh, uh, fighters. Uh, what is it that was there any surprises when you started uh, managing uh, women? Uh, anything that that stood out that made them different from the from the men? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> they, they, well, they don't have a male appendage. No, um, um, no. Um, <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> um, no. I mean, you know what? They're actually um, what makes them stand out. I, what I think is their their willingness to fight and the willingness to jump up two, three, maybe even four divisions at some point, where you can't get a guy to fight two pounds heavier or or, or two pounds lighter. But you have a, a female like I give you an example, Melissa Saintville. I told her she's going to fight for the 147 pound title one time. Melissa's not 147 pounder. She's typically a 140 pounder. And as she listened and actually won the title at 147, but that's that's a prime example, you know. Um, and I, I think that the women have a little bit more trust in in uh, I guess in me maybe or or, or or I just you know I just I have a I have a better experience dealing with them than I do with the guys. To be honest with you, what was your favorite? What was your first favorite uh, fight that that you organized between women? God, you know, oh, it was it you was probably had a whole lot. Yeah, but, but but the one where I really I really really I couldn't believe that a girl took so much punishment. It was Melissa Hernandez fighting Victoria Cisneros, and um, I don't even know if there's Did any make- video of it. But oh my goodness, what I mean, because Victoria is a warrior. Uh, you know, she was a lot bigger than Melissa. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a great fight. It was a great seesaw battle. Uh, uh, um, you know, Victoria took took a lot of punishment, but also fought back. So it wasn't like she stood in the corner and took a beating. But it was just it was it was it was just a great fight, man. And and I think from there on, I was like, ah, I gotta get I gotta get some more females. I think I think <laughs> after I came back from New Mexico, I think I started looking for a lot more female fighters. How difficult <laughs> it was it in the beginning to get. Some of the females uh, are recognized uh, either by promoters or television. Uh, what kind of obstacles did you have to face early on? Well, I mean, with all honesty, you know, some of the questions you get from the from the promoters and, and, and a lot of the television folks were, do they look like boys? You know what I mean? They were they were concerned about the look. They don't want to see, you know, a guy in a skirt. I mean, you know, all honestly. Um, um you know, and, 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 and I don't know, I guess some promoters thought, thought of them as like a sideshow at one point. 
you know what I mean, as like some kind of special mm-hmm. attraction. And then and then they, they were they were you know, it was very disrespectful with the pay. You know, but mm-hmm. did you not take the pay and you, you you didn't fight? So, you know, back then, you know, seven, eight years ago, title fights were three grand. And, you know, you were yeah. you know, pretty much told to be happy to take that. And uh times has changed. You you're like one of the, the the few that have taken women to like China to New Zealand. Uh, how did you manage that? I mean, that that's not an easy feat. I mean, it's hard enough just to put on female bouts uh, eight years ago, you know, in, in your own hometown, but yet you were able to go to China and New Zealand and things like that. How how were you able to do that? You know, David, I I can sell water to to a fish sometimes. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, I, I guess you know I have a lot of connections. Um, you know, people people know me for the women boxing. So whenever there's some type of event and they need uh, a female fight, thank God they do call me, and I, and I get calls from all around the world and all over the United States. And 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 I do good business. I don't rob anybody. I don't lie to nobody, and I don't cheat mm-hmm. nobody. Uh, and, and and I think that's what separates me from a lot of the people. Um, I just, you know, like I said, I, my father was in this business for for many years, um, and he had the same reputation. Um, so I, I kind of I kind of follow that philosophy in, in, in the regards that anything that you do in the dark is going to come out in the light. So just do just be honest and do good business. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be shouldn't be in any business. To be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. And what what do you think of women's boxing today as compared to three years ago? Oh well, I mean, I, I think I think it's it's actually night and day, man. I, I think it is, it is really evolved and it blossomed into its own sport. Um, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the one of the most amazing things is when I was working uh, uh, Christina uh, Linardato's. Uh, corner, and you're walking into the MAN arena and, and, and packed with people, and you're the main event fighting for Katie Taylor. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. It's actually amazing mm-hmm. to see. Um, and, 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 and good. And, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm happy for that because that means when my daughter gets older, and by the time she gets older, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be closer to equal pay for women to men. And, and one of the things that you did too is, I remember you uh, trying to make sure that that your fighter had a rematch clause, or or, or you were fighting to the end for for every nickel and dime you could for your fighter. What was that like? You know, well, you know, David. That's and 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 again, that separates me. I care for my fighters. I don't, I don't just run around signing people like a drunken sailor. So. I really care for my players. I care for their emotions. I care for their well-being. That's somebody's sister, mother, aunt. It's not just a person to me. You know what I mean? You're not just a, a number to me. Oh, you're the 14th boxer I have. I care for them. So when they have a problem, I have a problem. So I, sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve, and that's why like, I don't care if I'm, I'm going up against Eddie Hearn or this one or that one. As as long as I can help satisfy my boxer and make them feel better, then yeah, I'm gonna keep fighting. I'll, I'll you know, 
fight with you till the end. <laughs> so tell us about this fight card that just happened in Hammond, Indiana. Uh, you had num- six six year fighters, I think, uh, took part in that card. Uh, what was that like? Uh, how did it come about? You, you know, you know, David, it's, it's actually an amazing thing. Um, you know, you have Olympians. You have you have a, a lot of people have different platforms. Um, you know, and I'm not I'm not throwing shade on nobody or anything like that. I'm not trying to tell them that they should be they, they should advocate as much for women's boxing. But let me tell you something: Mary McGee won the title, and since she wanted to have all her teammates, a majority of her teammates, on a card in Hammond, Indiana, so she went out. She got an investor, um, and she she honestly made it happen. I mean, I mean, yeah. all credit to Mary McGee on on, on that one. Um, I just facilitated the fight, and um, I, you know, I made obviously made because nobody would know how to make a female match. Uh, so I made the six female fights. They were all great fights. They were all competitive. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, these these women fought like warriors, I, and I was proud to see it. A- Every fight was a good fight. There was not a bad fight. There was never there, were, there wasn't walkovers, knockouts. Um, it was definitely like a, it was a, is a worthy of any Showtime or the Zone car. It was it was better than any the Zone car that I've seen in the last umpteenth months. To be honest with you, just those six fights alone. So it, it took yeah. Barry McGee. To to, to 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 do something like that, you know what I mean? Um, like I said, you have to give that girl all the credit. All, I mean, that woman all the credit in the world for uh, uh, bringing that fight together. Uh, uh, Brian, I'm going to pass you on to Lupi. I know that Lupi and Felipe have questions for you too. Uh, so hang on, uh, Lupi. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Hey, Lupi. How are you, my dear? Good. Thank you. You know what? Hey. It was so great to see you at the Olympic trials in Louisiana. It was actually one of my, me and my sister's highlights of the trip. Oh, <laughs> thank so, you too. You and your sister, hold let me say this, Lupi, and let me just get this out of the way. You and your sister are such an inspiration to me, and it makes me want to keep doing what I'm doing every day with your beautiful brawlers and, and the things that you do for women's boxing. So I got to thank you and your sister. You know, I know we have interaction on Facebook or Instagram, but the world should know that you guys are actually doing such a service to women's boxing in and of itself. So thank you uh, for doing what you and your sister keep doing. Thank you. Thank you means a lot coming from you. It really does. You're welcome. You know, You're welcome. So, so, you know, you knew why we were there in Louisiana. So, um, yeah. but can you tell us what your actual purpose for being at the 2020 Olympic trials in mid-December? Like, can you share with us what you sure. were doing there? Sure. As everybody knows, or if somebody, people don't know, I, I signed um, with a management company, Split Team Management. Uh, he, it's actually headed by Dave McWhorter. Um, he manages, well, actually, we manage actually 90-something males, 80-something males, male fighters you know, Olympians, and he has people signed with Matchroom, Top Rank, uh, DeBella, um, all the top promoters, but, you know, he wants a female division. And mm-hmm. um, he brought brought me on board uh, to, to do scouting when I was in Lake Charles, to the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. So he wanted me to go out there and basically, you know, pick the fighters that I thought were going to be the, the, the next crop, 
of mm-hmm. great women boxers. So that's what I was doing out there. Hey, were you had to have been impressed? I know you were impressed because I know a lot of those. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Ma- uh, the, 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 the women were absolutely amazing. And the three standouts that I did see there, and I'm going to tell you, I, it was Rashidi Ellis, it was o, uh, uh, um, O'Shea Jones, mm-hmm. and it was Lucy mm-hmm. Gutierrez. That was, a, that, was a, that was my top three picks. I thought they were the most uh, – they're the most uh, – uh, I think that they had the best chance of winning medals. Hey, um, what was that first name amazing. you said? You said Lupe O'Shea. Who was the first name? Ellis. Rashida Ellis. Oh, Rashida. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Rashida Ellis. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought those three were, uh, I thought, I, I, you know, all the other females did, did great, but they were the three that stood out that I would love to to have on my table, to be honest with you. Just, just, yeah. just, Lupe's versatility from switching from Southpaw to conventional was amazing. You know what yeah. I mean? O'Shea, O'Shea is just a great fighter. And, and Rashida reminds me of Ronica Jeffries. I mean, she's a, she's a complete fighter. So um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what they do, you know, in the Olympics coming up. Yeah, it, it's really exciting. You know, we yeah. all know that you've been with uh, you've been with Callie Reese, Melissa St. Ville, Christina Lenardatu, Alicia Napoleon. And then recently you've added um, the IBF World Super Lightweight, Mary McGee, Sarah French out of Chicago, Ebony Bridges from Australia, and a few others. So obviously sure. obviously you're looking at talent. But what other yep. factors are you looking at? And is Callie helping you out in the process? And if it doesn't work out, how is that being handled? Um, so, the, so the second part of that question is, did you say is Kaylee helping me out with the process? Yeah, I was like, is Kelly helping me out? Because I know you guys, she's a fighter, but she's also a good friend. She also has great insight, and <laughs> I know she has good vibe, you know. She's she's special. Kaylee is special. Kaylee's actually at my house now. <laughs> um, she's here now. We, we, yeah, we actually, yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. We actually just finished training. She actually fights March 12th in Miami. She just recently signed with Lou DiBella after getting out of the contract with her her other promoter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I, I've been on Kaylee a lot. Um, you know, you know, like, like I said, um, when I was speaking to David that she, I, Kaylee's not just a fighter to me. She's not a number. Kaylee's like my best friend. So mm-hmm. uh, me and her have, have, a, have a special relationship. Um, yeah, I, I I run a lot of things by Kaylee, and some of the some of the criteria I look for when uh, looking for women. Obviously, can they fight? Can I put them in a dog fight? Are they going to quit? Those types of things. Um, another thing has to be marketability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have to be a bit marketable. They have to kind of know what they're good at, and if they don't, it's up to my job to make them aware of what they're good at. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, first and foremost, you have to have great skills. And if you don't have great skills, if, if I can't work with that, then I can't really um, – um, I, don't, I don't really deal with you. But, but and, and thirdly, another criteria is, like you just mentioned, I have to be able to vibe with you. Because mm-hmm. if, if you don't trust me or if you constantly keep thinking it's a business thing, I can't deal with you. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. to me, I, mm-hmm. I try to keep everything as, 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 as a family. Don't like I don't like the business aspect. I don't like treating you like you're a fighter. You're a stupid fighter. Get in there and do yeah. your job. I, I don't. It's just not me. 
And that's not the way I was raised. Like, my father's boxer, mm-hmm. his name was Buster Drayton. He was around our family. He was a former IBF junior middleweight champion. But she, when she lost, I cried. You know, mm-hmm. so it was, I always yeah. had that closeness. And, 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 and I have that today in my fighters. When, when, when they get punched, when bad things happen to them or even good things happen to them, it's, it's my emotions in there. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you can imagine after the six, the six fighters fought, I was emotionally finished. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah, you have a nice, um, and it's an incredible group, and we see it growing. And it's pretty, yeah. it's really nice to watch, you know, that you, you have all these stand-up women and talents. Have you ever been wrong? Did you ever miss Oh, uh, yeah, something? twice. Yep, yep, uh, yep, yep. I missed, I, I missed, I missed uh, two times. I, I, I thought I was doing a good thing, and, and apparently I wasn't. Or, or, or I thought I was being a good judge of character, and, and, and I wasn't. Um, yeah, two times. <laughs> and then how do you two handle times. that? You know, you're welcoming him to the family, and how do you remove them from your family? It's got to be hard because you get emotionally invested. It, it, it is. It is. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a hard situation because then that brings the business aspect into it. And and, and it, in, in all honesty, it is a business, but I don't like that part. And I don't like, mm-hmm. I, I don't like that part. And I don't like saying, hey, Section 7 of your contract says this. I don't like that. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's necessary when you're dealing dealing with, you know, certain people that are unappreciative and, 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 and you know, it, it, it makes it very difficult, Luke, to answer your question. And, and I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah. I have one last question. And I know you, we yeah. all know you're raising a daughter. And she's yeah. surrounded by you. I mean, you're Philly guy. You're like a guy's guy. And you're surrounded by these yeah. amazing women. And although they're fighters, they're all like women, you know. Like, I love, yeah. I consider some of your girls friends. Um, yeah. yeah. So what do you want for your daughter? And I guess I'm already assuming that the reason you pick certain women because of your daughter? <laughs> I mean, it's your daughter you involved. Are, you are as smart as you are beautiful, little Rupi Gutierrez. <laughs> you, you are very <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My daughter, my daughter, my believe it or not, my daughter is a great judge of character. And the two women that I was that I was speaking of earlier, it's funny because she, you know, she didn't like. It was something about them, and she was right, which which is which is funny because me and Kathy joke about her all the time. You know, we call her. You know, she's a little sarcastic, but you know. She can. She, she's actually she's a really good judge of character, and like you know, some of the fighters that've been around her since she was a baby is Ronica Jeffrey, Melissa St. Bill, like they're her favorites. Mm-hmm. Kaylee's her mm-hmm. favorite, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just recently Ebony Bridges from Australia was here, and you know, Eb- Ebony brought her chocolates and T-shirts, and you know that that's one of her favorites too. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. My, do- my my daughter my daughter's been around more world champion female boxers than I think any any little girl out there. But yeah, my, and, and and to touch on that note about my daughter, I, I, I'm basically doing this for my daughter too. Because when my daughter gets older, you know, a little older, she she's nine now. As I said before, hopefully the gap will be bridged between women's boxing and men's boxing, and and, and that goes for equal pay and things like that, you know, across the board. 
So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, eventually things will get better, you know, and, and equal for women and men. Yeah. That's what we all yeah. want. Hey, it was yeah. really yeah, good I, talking to you. I'm so glad you came on. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Whoopi. I love talking to you. And, 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 and again, thank you so much for what you're doing and your sister's doing, really. You're welcome. We just mm-hmm. love what we do, you know? And, and and that's what makes it easier, and and, and I yeah. get that. And, that. and 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 I love what I do. That's why I keep, you know. Um, I actually just signed. I don't know uh, if anybody ever heard of Sherelle Brown from um, yeah. from England. She's actually the WBC 140 pound champion. We just signed her as well. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's that's another signing. It's a good. So. Yeah, you're just moving and grooving. Felipe, you ready? Yes, uh, Brian. You know, you mentioned that, you know, the women that you have under uh, your tutelage, your flag, your banner are, are like family. You don't like the business side, but but it is a business. I mean, you're there as a manager to try to secure um, the biggest purses you can, the best exposure you can for your fighters, and obviously to make the percentage that you make so that you can continue to do the job that you do with your fighters. Um, you don't have two... 140-pound champions in Mary McGee and now Christina Linadartu, who travel, who captures the title once again. You know, there's other fights for them, namely Jessica McCaskill, who holds the other two titles at at 140. But if either one fights McCaskill and beats her, then the obvious choice is to fight the other fighter of your stable. How easy or how difficult would it be to make that fight? It's going to be very difficult because I'm going to be the roadblock. I don't like, like I said, if 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 the two girls agree and the money is right, then they can fight. But if if it's not necessary, then it's not necessary. Mary McGee could obviously go up and fight Cecilia Breckhouse, which we've got offered that fight. Uh, um, you know, there there's other options out there. Um, and that's what I'll try to explore prior to them playing. And, and it, it is a great point. I do have two 240-pound champions. Uh, but I'll try to avoid that as much as I can. I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I mean? I'm going to see who can go up and who can go down. I think a better matchup for Breckhouse would honestly be Mary McGee. Or, you know, like I said, or we can throw Kaylee Reese at Breckhouse. But will Breckhouse fight anybody? You know, it just looks like her, her last few fights. She's not going to fight anybody, you know, that, that used to be up coming down. So she's she's always trying to find fight somebody in a smaller division. So um, again, to answer your question, I'm going to avoid it as much as possible. But to a certain point, and I agree with you. I mean, it would be very difficult. But to a certain point, you know, if McGee asks for it, or Linda Dartu asks for it, or or Breakhouse doesn't want to fight either one of them, or she's busy with cyborg or whoever she might be and this is the biggest um fight for either one with the biggest purse um is that the you know the 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 sign that you will be looking for to say hey i don't want to do it but i have to because it's my job to make this fight sure if 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 it financially appeases the uh, one another both of them i'm gonna have to I don't want to though is, is is my point, but yeah, no, totally. If if listen, it, Mary McGee is a single mother. If if she feels that it's, it's going to provide uh, you know food, shelter, and clothing for her and her kids, 
by all means, I'll facilitate the process and and, and I'll get the most money I can for her. Same thing with Christina. If Christina thinks that, you know, she wants to add the IBF title to to her thing and and the money is right, of course, I'm going to have to negotiate for both of them. Do I want to? No. Will I be making quote-unquote percentages out of it? Yeah, but that's just, to me, that's not the way I want to do it. But I know it may happen because literally I have four 140 pounders. So I know, you know, there's, the pool is not very deep in women's boxing. So I know eventually somebody may have to fight somebody. But with that being said, I don't want it to happen. That makes now, sense. Stay, yes, it does. Now, now staying on McGee a little bit, we had her on the show back in December, I think right after she won her title uh, in New York. And, you know, she mentioned the bad blood that she has with Jessica McCaskill, and that is the fight that she definitely wants. She just had her homecoming fight, which is very impressive what she did. Now that you explained to us, you know, that she was the catalyst in getting that um, fight card made in, in near her hometown. But being that the Jessica McCaskill fight would mean a unification of the 140-pound titles and the bad blood between them and the fact that McGee has stated publicly that that's the fight that she really really wants had there been any talks how close are we seeing that fight well felipe you know i've tried to to reach out to rick ramos and i think i said this in an interview uh when i was going through through the whole situation with christina um he don't answer my phone calls text messages smoke signals you know it's like i own like like, like he owes me child support money um (laughs) He, 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 you know, he doesn't respond to anything. I know, you know, he's told several people he's petrified to have Jessica fight Christina. Um, you know, it kind of annoys me that he's about 40 minutes away from Chicago to Indiana. And I invited him to the fight. And no, he didn't show up. So, you know, my thing is, if, if you notice in all those pictures, a lot of the pictures that, that Jay Kemp actually put up, on the internet, the, the females were all happy, joking. You know, there was no, there wasn't a lot of tension there, and it was about like a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And to for her not even to show up is kind of a smack in the face to women's boxing. You know what I mean? And and I, and I find it selfish and greedy on both of them to not even attend the attend the fight, attend the weigh-in. Um, you know. If 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 Lou DiBella can make this fight happen with Mary McGee and and and, and um, um, uh, um, Jessica McCaskill, then great. If not, I, I have I have other ideas and other options. I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? Um, the money fight obviously would be Jessica McCaskill. Do they want to fight anybody? I don't think so. I don't think so. It, you know, they have two of the belts. If they want to unify, they want to go. Through, they have to go through me. Um, I just, I don't, I don't see Rick Ramos or her, I don't see them doing it. I honestly, I don't see them pulling the trigger on it. You know what I mean? But let's see, let's see if Eddie Hearn could, you know, wave his dollar signs in front of their faces and see if, if, if we can make it happen. Now, before I move on to my next question, my last question, Brian, I want to thank you for being with us because you're on the East Coast and I know it's late out there. First, I want to thank you and commend you for pronouncing my name perfectly. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't think that a, a gentleman from Philadelphia would be able to do that. Um, but uh, I, you, you should hear the way that I'm in Southern California where, you know, it's predominantly there's a lot of Mexican and people around Mexicans and they butcher my name. So for you to say it perfectly, I was I was shocked. Um 
But my last question, my last question for you is, um, you know, you mentioned it in, in your introduction to on this interview that you've been in the boxing world, in the female boxing world for years and years when the world titles were $3,000 for the, and they should be happy to take it. And you've been there from the beginning, from the, from the, the ground floor of this renaissance that we're seeing right now, this second golden area of, of female boxing. What do you see in the future for female boxing? In the next year, year and a half, two or three years with the zone and ESPN Plus and all that, what do you see? I mean, I'm excited for it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm excited for it because I see a lot of great matches that potentially can happen. Whether they will happen is two different stories. I mean, listen, you have, you know, Eddie Hearn and DeZone are a big proponent to this. You know, they have a lot of the top fighters, but match them with the fighters that DeBella have. So you, he has, for example, Felipe, he, he, he has um, um, Cecilia Breckhouse. Well, we have Kaylee Reese. Um, he has... You know, uh, um, Katie Taylor, listen, you have Mary McGee, you have Christina. Um, you know, listen, Melissa Sainville just won a title. Hey, throw her into the mix. You know what I mean? He has Terry Harper, who Bella has uh, Ronica Jeffrey. These are all fights that, you know, Ronica was robbed against Eva Wallstrom in Las Vegas. I just see, and my point of bringing all this up is, there can be so many great fights made. It's up to the fighters that... To, to make these fights. Now, me, I'm not scared to throw my females in with anybody because, as, as I said to Loopy, my criteria is, yo, you have to be able to fight. I can baby you for a couple, couple fights, but other than that, I'm pushing you into the deep end. And if you can't swim, you're going to sink. So it's up to these, these, these so-called trainers and these so-called other managers to be able to push your fighters in, man. You can't, you can't baby them. The pool is too small in women's boxing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I see big things happening in women's boxing. It, listen, as much as Clarissa may not like me for whatever reason, she 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 actually helped bring, bring women's boxing to the forefront too. You know, I know a lot of people don't like her because she calls herself the the guat, the go, whatever whatever she calls herself. Mm-hmm. But you know, she actually helped uh, uh, bring women's boxing uh, a step or two closer. To, to, to bigger paydays, too. So I got to give her credit, too. You got to give Katie Taylor credit. So it, I just think that the, in, in the future, there's just going to be a tidal wave of great female fights as long as the quote-unquote trainers and managers let it happen. And if everybody had – and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not perfect by, by any means. But if anybody, everybody has my, my attitude, you know, throw your females in. I have – I literally managed 15 females. So I can't, you can't baby, you can't baby 15 fighters. You have to be able to fight. You know what I mean? So I just, I see women's boxing flourishing in the future. Um, I think that it's an exciting time for amateur women's boxing, the ones that are going to come out of the Olympics. And I just see great things. I just see that women's boxing is going to do nothing but flourish. And, 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 and I think there's going to be a, a, another big explosion of it as well. So I'm excited for it. Thank you very much, Brian, for being with us here tonight. We thank you for your time, for calling in from late out there in the East Coast. David? Brian, uh, again, many, many thanks for calling. We we really like what you're doing. Uh, no, I, I, I want to thank you guys as well uh, for, for 
for giving females a platform and doing everything that you guys do. It's greatly appreciated on the East Coast as well. Uh, I just want to thank you guys as well because I know it takes time out of your day, and I know you guys take time to prepare and, and everything. So I really appreciate everything that, that you do. And whenever you need me to just call me, I'm, I'm, I'm a friend of the show. Thank you, Brian. We appreciate that. And have a, a good night and, and good luck in your future endeavors. We'll, you, we'll hear from you soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There yeah. you go. And, and there you have Mr. Brian Cohen, manager of multiple, multitude of female boxers. And, wow, what a great – I love this interview. A lot of insight. A, a gentleman who's been in the trenches um, in female boxing, um, who his business – is female boxing. I mean, obviously he has uh, that that uh, partnership with Split Team Management, but his personal business is 15 women who fight, and that's what he's interested in and getting them where they need to get. And that's pretty and that's pretty awesome. So, uh, so uh, big applause to to Mr. Brian Cohen. Um, uh, anything anything on that uh, interview before we move on? No, no that was great. He, uh, I like. I didn't know that he had 15. I thought it was yeah. like eight or nine. But I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty That's pretty. Pretty awesome. Now, uh, we've got to move fairly quickly here because um, we're, we're not running out of time, but we're getting close. Um, as far as Terry Harper, um, you know, she looked great. I think she's a little bit raw. Eva Wallstrom's experience uh, showed through a couple of times, but at the end, you know, Harper's, I think, physical advantages was the difference. She was able to finally hone in that jab and use it as a weapon to keep Wallstrom at bay. And, and, and you know, Eva being a, a veteran, she maybe got a little bit winded in the second half of that fight or maybe that, the, the last third of that fight, and I think that was the difference, whereas the scores to me were, were way too wide to what we actually saw inside the ring now how does harper match up against michaela mayer 130 pounds i mean she looked great but i'm I'm going with mayer yeah there's uh some things that she has to shore up uh i think uh in a year or two she is going to be much much better Mm -hmm. and lastly uh no, I was going to ask, do you guys know the order? I know that Michaela wanted the fight, and then I, I read somewhere that Sanders is actually first in line. Do you know who actually should get the fight? Not that they will get the fight, but who should? Well, I mean, who should get the fight is whoever's the number one ranked fighter or the mandatory, but as we've seen all across female boxing and all across the different the different uh, major uh, major boxing sanctions, uh, sanctioning bodies is there's no there's no mandatories in female boxing. I mean the rules say yep. that you are you are to defend your title every six to nine months, and one type one defense is against a mandatory uh, challenger, and the other defense is a voluntary uh, opponent who should be ranked in the top fifteen of your weight class. That's not happening. Okay, okay? it's yeah. not happening. Mayer said that she was up next, and she was the number one mandatory or number one ranked fighter. Eddie Hearn, according to Mayer, because I saw this tweet from Mayer, that Eddie Hearn said that she's not going to get the fight, that they're going to try to stay away from Mayer for the time being. And, you know, it's up to the WBC to mandate and to put in effect Mm -hmm. the rules, and they're not doing it. Why? 
Why? Because I think that they're playing favorites with promoters. And, you know, oh, yeah. they, they play favorites. It's tit for tat. You know, you know, you know, I'll fight for so, this title, but don't make me fight for this other title, and so on and so forth. The prime example was uh, Kenya Enriquez being an interim for almost three years, and she mm-hmm. still hasn't fought the actual no. title holder. And the fact that, I mean, I don't know the facts uh, around that, but we, I do know, I do know is that Pepe Gomez of Cancun Boxing, who is uh, the CEO of that company, is uh, Yesenia Gomez's promoter, who is the WBC full-fledged 180-pound champion, and he is very uh, chummy with the WBC, so so much so that he hosted the 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 last WBC convention in Cancun. You know, so, you know, that is, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the people behind Enriquez is pushing for that fight and Gomez is in Mauricio Suleiman's ear and saying, hey, don't, don't make that fight yet. Let me do a couple more defenses with Gomez and then we'll throw it in there. Because if you see Gomez's defenses, it hasn't been against any high caliber fighter. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, obviously I have no evidence of that, of that conversation, but I can imagine that's what's going on. So that is a prime example there. Now, Moving on to the last of the fight results, Gary, Indiana, or it wasn't in Gary, Indiana, it was nearby, but that's the hometown of Mary McGee. She Hammond. scored a t- Hammond. Hammond, yeah. Hammond, Indiana. She scored a ninth round TKO over Deanna Hoff to defend her 140 pound title for the first time. Time there was 155. Christina Nadartu uh, captured for the second time the WBO 140 pound title with a unanimous decision over Prisca Viro. Uh, scores there were 98-91 two times and 97-92. And Melissa Saintville scored a unanimous decision against Jessica Camera from Canada in a 10-rounder. Scores there were 97-93 and 96-94 two times. And as we heard from Mr. Cohen, there was three other fights um, also on that card. So let's move on fairly quickly to the fight chatter. And the biggest news in the last month in the female boxing world was that um, positive uh, test from Vada by the newly crowned, not anymore because, well, we'll get into that, Alejandra Tigre Jimenez, who uh, you know, tested positive for a um, an illegal substance, somewhat of a steroid in her system. Before we get your thoughts on it, I did hear an interview with her on, on, a, on a Mexican uh, boxing show, uh, broadcast on ESPN and let me just give you her um, timeline of what happened you know she mentioned that she had been hearing and seeing on social media uh, that Franchon Cruz deserved maybe alluding to the fact that Jimenez was on something because of her recent uh, weight loss, not that recent. It took her about two or three years to get down 50 pounds from heavyweight to super middleweight. So according to Alana Jimenez, she submitted herself to a test, a voluntary test um, on her own, and she sent the uh, results to her promoter, who is Cancun Boxing of all people, uh, Pepe Gomez, and to Franchon Cruz promoter, Golden Boy Promotions. After that, the VADA testing began, and she got tested on 5th, December 15th, which she was negative. Um, it was a blood and urine test that uh, on December 15th. Then on, December, on January 10th, 
one night, one day before the fight, it was a urine test where she gave up. She was positive of this uh, steroids. And then the next night after the fight, she was tested with blood and urine, and she was negative. Okay? So she's using that. The fact that she was negative and then positive with only urine and then negative with blood and urine as the main reason of why she couldn't be positive. So she's asking for the B sample. They were supposed to have a hearing in earlier this month to have her give her state her case. And she asked for a postponement so that she could gather more evidence. Since then, like we mentioned at the top of the show, the uh, Texas commission has uh, reversed the win on her from her to a no contest. The WBC has unrecognized her for the time being as the super middleweight champion. And as of a week, week and a half, the WBO had asked her for an official letter um, explaining the positive or they were stripper. So that is the timeline. I don't know, David, if you have any other insight on that or any other comments or, I, I mean, obviously you have comments, but any other insight besides the one I just shared? Uh, yes, yesterday I spoke to uh, Eric Gomez, the president of Golden Boy uh, Promotions, who promote uh, French on Cruise Desern, and I asked him uh, what what was going on with the process and what was holding it up. And basically, he said that uh, they've asked uh, that uh, Jimenez's team has asked for 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 time, but they set a date of February the 19th to open up the B sample. Now, now, she's already tested positive on one sample, and now they're going to open up the B sample. It's basically they 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 took a test, and if the B sample is the same as the A sample, then and they and if they're both positive tests, then then that's it. Uh, but that's what's going to happen, according to Gomez. The WBO informed them that. Uh, Franchine gets first crack at the title, uh, and but she doesn't keep the title. The WBC is a different story. He said they have they're waiting to see what happens with the B sample before they make any kind of uh, decision. But they're not like the D- WBO making the title vacant. Uh, they can either give it back to Franchine or make it vacant. Uh, but they're gonna. It looks like, uh, according to uh, Eric, they're going to wait for the B sample to be open on the on the 19th, and that's it. Loopy, I mean, I mean, why? Are, yeah, they're waiting until the 19th. I don't know what happens with samples. I mean, I don't know. Do they age? Does yeah? I, I don't know how that works. I don't know if you guys do. Does the the specimen age or? I think that in some way. I mean, I mean, it, it it might, but I think that if I think that if they had set that date, and if it and if there was a chance of it deteriorating or changing the result, I think Vada would have stepped in and said, "Hey guys, we can't wait to the 19th. We got to do it by this date, or else the sample doesn't work." And okay. the fact that and they then, and the fact that they haven't done that, I don't think that that is the case. Yeah, I mean that's one part of it, but it's also. I mean, we have to remember it's Danazola, where what she tested, what came out positive. I mean, it's a it's a man-made steroid, and it's similar to the naturally occurring steroid, you know, testosterone in men. So 
I mean, if we're going to, I know I thought about what happened to Heather Hardy when this came about. And I'm like, this isn't even anything close to what happened with Heather Hardy. And she was suspended and she was fined this outrageous amount. And, you know, I mean. Now, one thing that they did mention. Heather. Yeah. One thing that, 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 um, that Jimenez mentioned in that interview is that that steroid is mostly used as, uh, as a, a, like an aesthetic steroid to make you look a certain way for bodybuilders. Not that it's going to help you, um, you know, with stamina or, or anything like that, that it's that, there to, that's not to true. make you look that's a certain true. way. Yeah. Well, that's what she, and, that's and what she, she said. It. She said, it. yeah. Right, yeah. David, according to, true, go ahead. yeah, according to my research, they actually use that in horses to make them run faster and, and last longer. So uh, that steroid is it's pretty it, it it does have a big effect it's it's not just for but it is used by bodybuilders but but it's also used for ra- uh, horse racing for and stamina and strength of, and it would kind of explain how um, she was just Franchon hit hard hits hard she's not a light puncher and why she could just walk through those you know like nothing I don't know. Well, I yeah, mean, well, my, we have to see. Go ahead, David. Mm-hmm. My thoughts have been that, you know, if she cheated, then she cheated and she should be stripped. I, I, I don't believe that they would just give the belts back to Franchon. I think that they would make them vacant and then she would be the A side. They're basically they're gonna look for somebody for Franchon to fight to win those titles. Okay, yeah. that's what I think is going to happen. The, the, like David said, the WBO basically is saying already that um, not that they're going to have her fight somebody that she could win, but that she's going to be the one that's going to be in that fight as a as a number one contender. And and the WBC, yeah. I would I would expect them to do the same if they end up stripping Jimenez. Um, the one thing that 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 makes me and now I have a friend who who follows uh, this type of testing very. Um, closely and he mentioned to me that it's very rare for the b sample to be any different than the a sample that it's almost unheard of that so for her to be adamantly be asking for or for them that to base this whole result to base which is obviously logical that you know if she cheated and she used uh, uh, an illegal substance then it's in the a a sample and then it's going to be in the b sample then that'll be the end of it and that would prove that she cheated um but so then, for the, for us to be for if it's kind of unheard of that the B sample is going to be any different than the A sample, and the only reason that they have a B sample is just in case it got the A sample got contaminated with this substance, and that's why the B sample should be clean. It sounds kind of the way that I was explained the way that they do it is that they take they take the urine sample and they basically divide it in two, and one's the A sample and one's the B sample, and that's it. So if it got contaminated exactly. in the A. If they got contaminated in the A and they're separating it, I mean, I don't know what the process is of separating it that would prevent for it to be contaminated in the B. That I understand. But what makes me think twice about what's going on is that she was negative on the 15th with blood and urine. She was positive on the 10th with urine. And then she was negative on the 11th with blood and urine. How did that substance, you know, 
uh, disappear in 24 hours. That's well, the part well, I don't understand. Well, according to my research, there's a, a period where it disappears, uh, mm-hmm. where where it can be traced, and they do it in numbers. They, they they have it down to a science. There's like so many days where it's traceable, and then it's not traceable. No, that's very easy. That from one day to the next, uh, to drop. There's yeah that that it that it, there wouldn't be enough to say oh yeah they're they're contaminated or or they have a negative test. Uh, it's it's all based on numbers, and so. Yeah, it could be the next day that it's not, it's not traced. But that's what, um, that's why you have these people. They, they, that's why Vada does uh, testing at randomly. They don't tell you when it's coming, because they don't want you to count the days and say, well, I'm going to be uh, testing uh, positive on this day, so I'm not going to take it for so many days. They don't want you to do that, and that's why they do it randomly. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to see on February 19th uh, what happens in that hearing and what happens in that B sample and what are the decisions by the WBO and the WBC based on those results on February 19th. So this is an ongoing story. Um, David has been doing some research and asking the right questions to the right people. We're discussing it here. So we're going to see what happens. Um, Now, moving on to a, a quick other note before we go to the to the calendar because we are uh, in the last 10 minutes of the show. You know, we mentioned that one of the most anticipated fights of 2020, which we're probably going to get by in April, is that fight between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. But another fight that that has been, been talked about for the last two or three years, and it just has not happened, and now the chatter started again between the two fighters, is that fight between Mariana Lavarri Juarez and Jackie Nava of Tijuana. Nava has stated publicly that definitely 2020 is her last year as a professional fighter and that one of the fights that she wants is um, against Mariana Juarez. Mariana Juarez about a week ago publicly stated, I'll give you the opportunity to fight for my 118-pound title, which she is the 118-pound WPC champion. And Jackie Nava basically answered her on Twitter, just signed the contract. So we do know from both of these women that the biggest obstacle of making that fight is the money, the, the, the promoters getting together and coming to an agreement. Uh, you know, Jackie Nava is with the Azteca channel. Uh, Mariana Juarez is with Televisa, a bigger uh, channel in Mexico, both terrestrial big uh, networks in Mexico, but Televisa is bigger than um, than Azteca. So, you know, you would imagine that they would be able to put up more money and have the fight broadcast on there. Um, there's only going to be one fight, I would imagine. I don't think they're going to have the two fights like Nava did against Torres, where one fight was broadcast on Televisa and the other fight was broadcast on the Azteca channel. So, it's just a matter of putting up the money, and we could only imagine that Jackie Nava is trying to get the biggest purse that she can because this is probably going to be her last fight. If she loses, I don't see her coming back. Maybe coming back on a farewell fight in Tijuana where she has a big, big following, and she could probably fill up the stadium here. Um, 
but but we'll see if it gets done in two in in 2020. Yeah, that would be a big big fight. Very yeah, it would be huge. And, and if it happens, yeah. I mean, oh, I would, I would, big fight. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't. I don't see. I mean, I don't think Nava would have a problem having it in, in Mexico City, where Mariana Juarez is from. But if they want to have like a neutral, um, a neutral site, it could be in Monterrey, it could be in Guadalajara. I don't think it would be in Tijuana. I don't think Juarez would come to Tijuana and fight in Jackie Navas's backyard. But you know, there are other cities where they could draw, and it could be neutral, like especially like Monterrey or. Um, or Guadalajara, if it's not Mexico City. So we'll see what happens. Um, let's move on fairly quickly here to the upcoming calendar. Our next show is scheduled for February 27th, where we'll be talking about the results of these fights. By that time, um, that hearing with Jimenez would have happened already, and that B sample would have opened. So we'll be discussing those results on our next show on February 27th. And on, so let's go to the calendar fairly quickly on Saturday, February 15th. In Australia, Susie Ramadan will be facing Gretel De Paz in an eight-rounder for the 115-pound WIBA title. And in the Philippines, on that same night, on February 15th, Ki Jung Ju will be facing Kenyanat Shochun in a 10-rounder for the WBC International 115-pound title. And the only reason that I even mentioned this is because, you know, not to, not to come down on the WBC – because we, we, we criticize all the sanctioning bodies on here. But the WBC is probably the most the most adamant sanctioning body against the two minute round. You know, they're the ones that yeah. are pushing it, that are that are, you know, petitioning for it not to happen. They put on these uh, conventions where they have, you know, um, you know, doctors and, 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 and medical seminars explaining why the female body can't take a three-minute round. But on the other hand, they are willing to put on a fight between a 22-3 and three fighter against a 2-1 and one fighter and a 10-rounder, you know. So, you know, if this young Jew hurts this Chochun in this fight, even in a two-minute round, I mean – they're not any better than anybody else trying to put on a three-minute round if mm-hmm. we're basing it on the health on the health of the fighter. So I think the WBC needs to kind of check themselves and see what they're doing besides um, <laughs> the two-minute round and how that can hurt the health of, of a female fighter. I mean, these kind of fights should not be happening in in professional boxing, especially for a world title. Well, not even a world title, a regional title um, for the WBC and I just remember they just they just announced that they reduced the amount of rounds for regional titles for the WBC from 12 to 10 in the male side. So why don't reduce why don't they reduce this round from 10 rounds to eight if it's a regional title? Oh, yeah. It's only an international title. So WBC needs to get next to need to take a look at this type of situation. Lastly, before we go, Country Coliseum in El Paso, Texas, on February 15th, the return of the former. IBF featherweight champion Jennifer Hahn takes on Jerry Styles in a 10-rounder at 135 pounds. We can only imagine that she's going to try to drop some weight and get closer to 130. I don't think she'll be going back to 126. And Ayana Vasquez against Susana Uribe in a six-rounder, also a lightweight on that fight card. Anything you guys want to add uh, before we say farewell? 
Well, Jennifer Hahn, she's playing Jerry Sitkus, who hasn't fought in about four years, I think. Mm. Jerry, Jerry's well, a good fighter, but she hasn't fought in four years. Well, it is in Texas, so, you know, they're a little bit lax with that kind of stuff, too. And it's not, it's not for the WBC, so... Um, so we can't we can't we can't go after anybody here but the Texas Commission and we know they don't care. Is Dicky Cole still the, com- the 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 commissioner there, David? The main guy? That's a good. You know what? I don't know. I don't know if he still is or not. Yeah, I'm not Lawrence sure. Cole, That's a good Lawrence question. Cole, his son is still a, a referee, but uh, I don't know if Dicky Cole is uh, the main guy over there. Uh, Lupe, yeah, yeah, anything? I'm not sure. Mm, no, I don't think so. It's, okay, it's been well, exciting, though, these last few weeks. There's a lot going yeah. on the last few weeks. Yeah, 2020, 2020 has started very exciting. Good stuff happening, bad stuff happening, but at the end it gives us something to talk about, and we'll be doing it here on February 27th on the next edition of the Two Minute Round, your hooks and jabs look at the female boxing world. This has been episode number 80, number 81, coming to you February 27th. We want to thank Brian Cohen for being with us, and we hope to have you all here next uh, every uh, the next February 27th here on the Two Minute Round. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Have a you good too. night. Bye. Okay.